Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. It is Thursday, March 10th. We're going live on Thursday today, and it is just after 1030. So that means it is time for Bible study. Today, we are looking at the third chapter of Revelation, uh, part two. So last week, we did chapter three, part one, and today we are doing chapter three, part two, the, the letter to the church at Philadelphia and the letter to the church at Laodicea. And so after today, we will have done the seven letters to the seven churches, and then we will continue next week in chapter four. So let's jump right into the church at Philadelphia. No, not that Philadelphia. Philadelphia was a church in Rome, which was in the, uh, it was in the eastern, or sorry, western part of the province of Asia. And so this is what Jesus, through John, has to say to the church at Philadelphia. So uh, a little background about the church in Philadelphia. It was the youngest of the seven cities that was written to, and it, uh, it was originally founded as a center for spreading Greek language, culture, and manners throughout the Asian provinces. So uh, Jesus writes to the church at Philadelphia. He says, verse 8, I know your works. Look, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So Jesus says, I have set before you an open door. What does that mean? What does that mean that Jesus has set before them an open door? Does that mean that Jesus has set before them the opportunity for evangelism? First uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Colossians also uses this phrase, an open door, and, and it is, uses it in the sense that there is a, an evangelism opportunity for you, right? And so in this city that was founded to spread Greek culture, uh, Jesus has set before them an open door to spread the culture of the kingdom of God. He has given them this opportunity to, uh, to, to go out and to proclaim the kingdom and to, uh, to, to bring more people in, to help, to, to partner with the Holy Spirit in the work of evangelism, to go out and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God uh, and to change the culture of the city by bringing the culture of the kingdom to those people. Now, I would say that there has never been a time in church history where the church has not had an open door, an opportunity to go out and to proclaim the kingdom and to uh, to share the good news of the gospel and to change the world uh, around us by bringing the culture of the kingdom of God, right? By bringing the, the teachings of Jesus to the city and community that we live in. And in doing so, uh, the Lord changes the world around us. Uh, and so we too have an open door, uh, an open door to go out and to proclaim the kingdom. There is always an opportunity uh, to tell somebody about Jesus. Then it says that they had little power. I know that you have but little power. Uh, an, an interesting phrase, an interesting thing to say. You know, basically saying to people, I, I know you don't have much wealth. I know you don't have much power. I, don't, I know you don't have much privilege in your life. Uh, but isn't that a good place to start? If you think about the ways in which, like the Apostle Paul uh, claimed uh, that he was weak. I was weak and so that, sh that so that you were strong. 
I was, uh, I had little power so that I relied upon the power of God. Those who have little power in scripture, they rely upon the power of God and great things happen. You can go all through scripture about the, the humble beginnings of people in scripture. You think about David, right? Who was, who, who was a, a, a nothing, right? I mean, he came from nowhere. Uh, he was the youngest son. Uh, and so, uh, he comes and then becomes the most powerful king. You think about Mary, right? A young woman from the middle of nowhere, right? Uh, a young woman who came from, uh, didn't come from wealth, who, you know, was just just a young woman. And, and yet Jesus came from her. And then Jesus, they say, can anything good come from Nazareth, right? Uh, how God uses uh, those who have little power because those who have little, little power learn to trust in God. They trust in the power of God. And people who have little power trusting in the power of God make incredibly big things happen. Um, I want to jump back uh, a, a verse. Verse 7, uh, uh, Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of the Holy One, the true one. The true one. Um, that Jesus was holy and Jesus was true. Uh, I think that there's a neat point here that I think is important. There's two ancient words that you could translate for true. Uh, one is truth, right? Like that I'm telling you the truth. What I'm telling you is true and it's not false. And the other word means uh, I am original. I am authentic. I am not a reprint. I am not a reproduction. It's true and not fake. There's, so there's true and not false, right? When you're making a statement, it's true, it's not false. And there's other, uh, I'm true and not fake, right? I am a genuine thing. I am the real thing. Uh, I, I think there was a Coca-Cola commercial when I was growing up, the real thing, right? You want the real thing. You don't want the, uh, the knockoff, right? And so when Jesus talks about being the truth, Jesus is talking about being the truth is being the real thing. Right. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, it's not I am the way I am the truth compared to what is false. I am the truth compared to what is uh, a reproduction or what is phony, what is pretending to be something that it's not. I am the actual real thing. Uh, and so that's that's what that means there. I think that's a, a great way uh, to say that. And so um, it says that uh, back to verse eight, you have little power, yet you kept my word and have not denied my name. You have not denied my name. You have remained faithful to what you believe. You have remained uh, steadfast. You have, in the face of persecution, in the face of suffering, you have remained faithful. And so you are doing a great job. The church in Philadelphia is doing a great job. And then verse 9 says, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and who are not but are lying I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. So in the, in the midst of this persecution from this, the members of this synagogue of Satan, who these people who have claimed to be Jews, but they're not, they're not right. They're just people who are out there to persecute. Uh, uh, I will make sure that you are vindicated before them. They will come and they will fall at your feet when they realize that I have loved you. What a powerful way to say that. I mean, to think about these people are persecuting you because they think there's no way that God loves you. But Jesus says, you will be vindicated when they find out that I have loved you. 
to think about anybody in the world who we would persecute, anybody in the world who we would think we were better than, um, God says, you will come to realize that I have loved them, that I have loved them. Uh, just an important way, just a, an incredibly beautiful way uh, to say that. Um, verse 10, because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. So a time of trial coming to test the inhabitants of the earth. This idea of inhabitants of the earth is used several times in the book of Revelation, and it speaks to those who are not saved in Jesus, those who are not uh, believers, those who are lost. Uh, and so uh, basically what this is saying is that those who are believers— those who are, remain steadfast and hold fast to their faith in the midst of the suffering, um, in the midst of the trials, you will not be here for the trial that is to come, right? Uh, you will not have to go through that. Uh, and so uh, you will be able to uh, miss that, skip that. I think, I think Matthew 24 talks about how uh, two, are, you know, two are working at the grinding wheel and one is, one is gone while the other remains. Um, and so that's one of those things where the faithful the faithful are, uh, uh, they're going to miss out on the trial coming on the inhabitants of the earth. Uh, well, now we, we, we say, well, if there's more trials to come, what are we going through right now, right? But uh, more trials to come. So um, verse, uh, verse 11 says, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. No one may seize your crown. Um, that's a that's a verse that we struggle with. What does that mean? That what is our crown and who's going to take it from us? What is our is our crown eternal life? And is someone going to take our eternal life from us? Uh, that's not something that we would say would be accurate, even though that's one way to read it. I don't know what it means. Uh, I do. Uh, I do think that uh, you know the. In other places, Jesus talks about a crown, like he give you a crown, like getting you a medal at the end of a. a athletic competition and so someone else might come and steal your crown i don't know what that means here's what i know about salvation that if you have it god gave it to you and if if you lose it uh it's not that somebody took it from you it's that you decided you didn't want it um and so uh you know nobody nobody can take away your salvation there's nobody who can show up and take it away from you basically you know if god has given it to you uh there's nothing anyone else can do about it satan can't do anything about that so um I don't know what that means about, uh, but it says, if you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never go out of it. So verse 12, if you conquer, you will make, I will make you a pillar. I will make you a pillar. So a pillar is a sign of strength and stability. A pillar holds up a building. And so uh, you who have little strength now, you will become a pillar in God's temple which means what you don't have now, use that, that is what you will become. You don't have strength now, but you will become a pillar of strength in the temple of God. So just hold fast, remain faithful uh, in the, uh, through the persecution and all the things that you're going through. Uh, hold fast, and you will become a pillar of strength in God's kingdom. Uh, what a cool, what a, what a cool message to the church of philadelphia and the church of philadelphia uh jesus doesn't have anything negative to say about them and uh and so if you're a, a, a christian in philadelphia at this time and you read this you think wow we're doing really well we just need to keep doing uh what we're doing okay let's jump ahead to the last letter to the church at laodicea um 
And just as the last, the last letter was good news, this one, not so good. So the church at Laodicea, Laodicea was an important wealthy city, had a large Jewish population, and uh, they had had it going up. They had it going on. The things were going well there. Uh, there was an earthquake that went through there in 60 AD, and the people of the city told the uh, the Romans, "Hey, we don't need any help rebuilding. We've got this. We got enough money." Uh, the only problem that they had was that they had a poor water supply, and so their water supply came from hot springs, and it would show up from hot springs like six miles away. And by the time it got to the city, it was lukewarm, so it wasn't very tasty. So, uh, what does Jesus have to say about being lukewarm? Let's get to it. Uh, first, verse fourteen, and to the angel in the church of Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. It's interesting how Jesus describes himself uh, in all these different letters. And I love this. This one might be my favorite. Jesus describes himself as the amen, as the amen. And so uh, we say, you know, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. So we pray in Jesus name. And then as we say, amen, we are, you are the amen, Lord. So in Jesus name, in Jesus name, basically, is, uh, the, the, the word amen means so be it, let it be. And so we say so be it, let it be in Jesus. Jesus is, William Barclay says, the personification and the affirmation of the truth of God. And so when Jesus is the amen, Jesus is the so let it be, the so be it, the, and, and it is so. So I, I love that Jesus describes himself as the Amen. And the origin of all creation. All things were created through him. That's what John tells us uh, in the uh, first chapter of John's gospel. And uh, he is the origin of all creation. All things came into being because of and through Jesus. Uh, powerful, powerful world, words of description. And, and what I'd like to do, uh, just for my own personal study, is to go back through these seven, these seven uh, letters and to see how Jesus describes himself in each one. And they're all different, but they're all powerful because they speak to who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. And it helps us to have a great understanding of who Jesus is and what it means to follow Jesus. So uh, I love that. Okay. So then Jesus, verse 15. Uh-oh. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. Verse 16. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. If you think about it, we like cold things to drink, like cold water, cold soda, and we like hot things to drink, like hot tea, coffee, hot chocolate. But it's the room temperature or maybe just slightly warmer than that, you know, something that's like 85, 90 degrees. That's not pleasant to drink. You don't like drinking hot chocolate or coffee that's not really hot. And you certainly don't want to drink water or soda at 90 degrees. It's just, yeah, right? So Jesus says, you are lukewarm and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm. Why are they lukewarm? Well, Jesus says, verse 17, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They are lukewarm because they don't need God. They are they are playing the middle, right? They have they they're they're trying to please the world. They're living in this world where they have enough wealth to provide for themselves. So they don't really need God to do that. But they also have faith in Jesus. And so 
uh, as someone once said, life is a struggle for people who are lukewarm because uh, the, you have too much of the world to be happy into Jesus, uh, happy in Jesus, and you have too much of Jesus to be happy in the world. And so it's really one or the other. What are you putting your hope in? What are you putting your trust in? Where do you find joy? Do you find joy in the world or do you find joy in Jesus? Are you putting your hope and your trust in the world or are you putting your hope and trust in Jesus? It's really easy to read this and think of others. Think about all the lukewarm people in the world, all the lukewarm Christians, but this should be a mirror for us. We should read this and think and ask, in what ways am I lukewarm? It is hard to pray, uh, uh, the, you know, give us today our daily bread when we really don't need God to provide our daily bread, right? Because we're, you know, people who can provide our own bread. But do we recognize that all the things that we have are given to us by God? All the ways in which we're able to earn a living is a gift of God. All the ways in which we are able to provide housing for ourselves and all to be able to live the life that we live is a blessing from God. And so all that we have is because of God. Um, and so we recognize then that we truly do have a need for God. Uh, we truly have a need for God in each and every aspect of life. And if we don't think we need God, well, then we are at a danger of becoming lukewarm. So how do we guard against lukewarmness? Something to think about, something to think about for each and every one of us. Um, and so what Jesus is saying is you don't realize this, but you are wretched, poor, blind, and naked. You have spiritual poverty that you don't even realize. In what ways are we, are, are we spiritually poor? Are we broke? And in what ways does Jesus fix that? It's a question we all need to ask. Verse 18, therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Verse 19, I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Verse 20, listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come to you and eat with you and you with me recognize your need and buy from me, Jesus says. Now, we hear this and we think, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. How do we buy things from Jesus? Well, we really can't. I mean, you can't buy grace. Grace is a free gift, but trust in that which God has to give you. Jesus says, I am knocking at the door, open and let me in. And so we have this interesting language of Jesus in other places says, you know, says, knock and I will answer. Um, but Jesus is now knocking. So why, why does Jesus wait outside the door? Why does he knock when he has the power to come in, when he has the power to break down the door, or open the door to come in? And so why is Jesus knocking? And many will say, well, it's because we have to answer. Faith is answering Jesus knocking at the door. Many will say that, but we as Lutherans say, no, that's not what that is. Faith is, well, there is no acknowledgement. There is no acceptance of faith. It isn't like we have this moment where we accept all that God, uh, you know, a gift is only a gift if we accept it. No, a gift is a gift whether we accept it or not. If I give a gift to someone um, and they throw it away without opening it, I've still given you the gift. Faith is a gift. God has given us the gift of faith. And so no matter what we do with it, God has said, I've still given you the gift, right? 
Uh, and so it's not about accepting. It's not about answering. It's not about opening the gift. So what does this mean? I don't know what it means, but I know that as Lutherans, we believe that faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And if we don't have faith, well, then we've done something we shouldn't. Um, so there's a theological conundrum there. I get that, but um, uh, I don't know what this means. But there is, you know, the, obviously these are people who, who go to church. So they're already people with faith. So that's not what Jesus is talking about here. I think what this is, is the call to repentance. It's the call to, uh, it's the call to recognizing our need for Jesus, living a life of gratitude, living a life where Jesus is all that we need. And, you know, if, if I've got Jesus, I've got everything I need. And so I think that's, that's, that's what this is trying to get to. And then for those who conquer, for those who conquer, verse 21, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on the throne. So those who conquer uh, this battle, in this battle against self-reliance, they receive a special award. They are enthroned next to Jesus, which is an interesting thing here <laughs> to say that, you know, if you can come, if you can overcome self-reliance, you will be enthroned. The, the thing is, you know, the, the Philadelphians who didn't have any power and who were learning to overcome their lack of power and who were able to do uh, difficult things in the face of suffering, uh, they become a pillar. So would you rather be a pillar? Would you rather be a pillar than the temple of God or would you rather sit on a throne? Because um, it seems to me like the church in Philadelphia, they were doing the right things. They were recognized for doing the right things. They were, uh, and there was an evangelism door open in front of them. They had the opportunity to go out and to proclaim the kingdom of God. And Jesus was like, I want you to, to multiply and to do all this stuff. But you, the church in Laodicea, you have a lot to learn. You have a lot to learn. You have a lot to improve upon. And if you do, and if you do, you will sit on a throne with me. So would you rather be a pillar or would you rather sit on a throne? I think I'd rather sit on the throne, right? But um, why is this promise made to the worst of the seven churches that you get to sit on the throne? Interesting, interesting. And then uh, the end as a, the, the same way that all other seven letters ends, let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so what we get here is that uh, John, what John is writing is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus speaking to John through the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and so each of these seven letters, each of these seven letters to the seven churches, they are for more than just the people of those churches. It says, anyone who has an ear, listen. Anyone who can hear what I'm saying, anybody who can read this later, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches and and read it again and again and again and, and learn what you can learn from each of these messages to each of these churches because this stuff that Jesus has to say in these two chapters, these seven letters to these seven churches in verses chapters two and chapters three, they're important lessons for what Jesus has in mind, the expectations that Jesus has for his church in the world. And so anyone who has ears, listen to what the Spirit says uh, so that the church can be an accurate reflection of who Jesus is and who Jesus wants 
the church to be. And so as we read through these, as we read and study these last two chapters, I hope that something here has spoken to you about who Jesus is and about who Jesus wants us to be. And uh, next week uh, we get into chapter four and uh, it's a, next week is basically the, the last part of the book, the book of Revelation. The first part was Jesus coming to John. The second part is Jesus writing these letters through John, or John writing these letters uh inspired by the Holy Spirit to the seven churches. And now uh, verses uh, chapters four through the end of the book, which is quite uh, 21, 22 chapters um, is kind of this prophetic uh, message about what will be. So uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be an exciting ride. And I thank you for joining me today and uh, pray that you uh, uh, have a wonderful day wherever you may be. Thank you for joining in and take good care of yourselves and may the Lord bless you and keep you uh, and, and make his face shine upon you and give you peace in Jesus name. Amen. Have a great day. See you next week.